0: and the listeners, welcome to our first of the day for June the 27th, excuse me, our daily devotional for June the 27th, excuse me, uh, if you will recall, our daily devotionals are divided into two separate segments, we have our first of the day segment, and we have our through the Bible in one year segment. So our verse, June the 27th, <coughs> comes from Isaiah chapter 41, verse 13, which says, Do not be afraid. I am here to help you. So in order to really understand what's going on with this 1st we've got to back up to Isaiah chapter 41, verse 10. And move through the whole verse. Here's what that says. (coughs) It says, so do not fear, (coughs) for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you (coughs) and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand who rage against you will surely be ashamed and disgraced those who oppose you will be as nothing and perish though you search for your enemies you will not find them those who wage war against you will be as nothing at all for i am the lord your god who takes hold of your right hand and says to you Do not fear. I will help you. (coughs) So the promises God makes here. Do not just apply to the people of Israel. Which is who they were originally written to. But they also apply to the New Testament followers of Christ. That is all of us who are not Israelites, those of us who are not ethnically Jewish, so it applies to the New Testament followers of Christ, <clears throat> because we have become God's chosen servants, and we claim the promises of these verses for ourselves, and as followers of Christ, He must not fear other humans, because God is with us, and he is, because he is with us, he is also doing the following things, so he's doing four things, right? (coughs) So the first thing he's doing is he's giving us the grace, which is the undeserved favor and help, so that's grace, and he's giving us grace and strength, giving us the grace and the strength needed to face all of life's circumstances that's the first thing he's doing the second thing he's doing is he is helping us through times of crisis by giving us hope and peace the third thing he is doing is he is (coughs) providing for our needs. The fourth and final thing that he is doing is he is supporting us in our efforts to fulfill his purpose for our lives. (coughs) So all of these are reasons that we have as followers of Christ to not fear other humans and more importantly to not fear the world, <coughs> and what it will try to do to us as followers of Christ. As you see, we serve a God who is bigger, stronger, and more powerful than anything the world and its dark forces can and will throw against us. Some Bible readings that you need to do. June the 27th. seventh, <coughs> Second Kings chapter 10 verse 32 through chapter 12 verse 21. Acts 18 1 through 22. Psalm 145 1 through 21. And Proverbs chapter 18 verse 1. <coughs> So, that concludes our Verse of the Day segment for June the 27th. Now, we're going to move into our through the Bible in one year segment. Day 178. (coughs) Know that if you read the blog post, it says day 176. It is in actuality day 178 of (coughs) our to the Bible in one year segment. So if you have missed any of the preceding see what all we're talking about here. You can find all of that information out by visiting upstatechristian dot com. You can mix upstatechristian So our focus for day one seventy eight is gonna be on John chapter nineteen, verses thirty eight through forty. So today, so on on this day, so June the 27th, we come to the last part of the fourth scene of John's Passion Narrative of Jesus. So just to give a little recap of what we have seen so far in this Passion Narrative, so we have seen Jesus arrested and interrogated by the Jewish Leadership. We then saw Jesus tried before the Roman authorities and sentenced to death by the Roman authorities. So we then saw Jesus crucified. We saw Jesus's death, and now we come to Jesus's burial. Right. So really understand. So so we're gonna read these four short little verses. Then we're gonna talk a little bit about what we see here. All right. so here's what the, these short four verses say. a Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus but secretly because he feared the Jewish leaders. With Pirate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, (coughs) the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes about 75 Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with the spices and strips of linen. <coughs> this was in accordance with the Jewish burial customs. At the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden and in the garden of tomb, in which no one had ever been laid. Because it was the Jewish day of preparation, and since the tomb was nearby, <coughs> They laid Jesus there, so Joseph <coughs> Joseph of Arimathea requested permission to give Jesus' body an honorable burial, right? which is something that the Roman authorities would not have done on their own, because you have to bear in mind, crucifixion was a death reserved only for those who had usurped Roman authority so they would not have given a a victim of crucifixion somebody who had been sentenced to be crucified an honorable burial because then for them to give that person an honorable burial would be the equivalent of saying essentially their crime of treason was forgiven which was something that the Roman government was never going to say (coughs) so we also see that Joseph was a follower of Jesus but he was not openly a follower of Jesus because he feared the Jewish leadership So we also see here that, surprisingly, Nicodemus joined Joseph. And you see, John has to then remind us that Nicodemus first approached Jesus under the cover of darkness. But you see, now Nicodemus is associating himself with Jesus in broad daylight before Jesus' enemies, before the very people that had convicted him of committing treason, quote-unquote, in the eyes of the Roman world, in the eyes of the Roman authorities. So Nicodemus is finally getting it. He is putting his life at stake by openly associating himself with Jesus in broad daylight (coughs) so we also should understand that both men were members of (coughs) the Sanhedrin so these men had probably were not told voted when the Sanhedrin voted to not convict Jesus of the crime of blasphemy, they had probably meant to not take him before Pilate, knowing that Pilate would have no choice but to sentence this innocent man—excuse <coughs> me—to death. Anyway. So we see that Nicodemus here provides an enormous amount. Of Aramaic spices for burial. So, what's so significant about this? Why would they need spices? Didn't they embalm the bodies? Well, that's a very good question. If you are asking that question, did the Jewish people <coughs> embalm their bodies? Wouldn't it make sense to embalm the bodies? <coughs> so, we need to understand that the Jewish people did not in bomb bodies like the Egyptians in bodies. But what they would do is they would pack these bodies with Aramaic spices and lay them out in a tomb to help lessen the smell of decomposition. And once the body had finished basically decomposing and it had become nothing but bones, they would take the bones and put it into an ossuary, which would be a bone box. Right, kind of like a coffin, and they would leave that box in the family tomb. In the tomb, <coughs> so they could make room for the next dead person, for the next person it needed to be put in the family. So it also showed honor to the deceased because it made the body not swell. So we need to understand about the amount of spices that Nicodemus brought was that he brought an amount of spices that was worthy of the burial <coughs> of uh king. Because you see, Nicodemus finally realized that even though Jesus was not an earthly he was and still is a heavenly king and so as such he deserved to have a burial worthy of royalty so we see <coughs> so we need to understand about the time we gotta understand this time so about what time was Jesus's body put in this tomb right <coughs> so Jesus' body probably have been put in this tomb a little before 6pm which would have been a little before the sun started to set which would have marked the end of the day of preparation (coughs) which would have been Friday and would have marked the beginning of the Sabbath day which would have been Saturday the day in which the Jewish people were not supposed to do any work so now let's talk a little bit about this tomb right <coughs> so we know this tomb was in a garden and that it was in a garden that was not far from the crucifixion site so in order to understand this right so this crucifixion site was outside The old, the ancient city walls of Jerusalem. So that means that the tomb needed to be located outside the city walls of Jerusalem. Also, because most tombs would have been located outside of the city, why would you want to put a dead and sneaking to understand the Gospels also mentioned, not so much John here at this point in time but he does mention it a little bit later mentioned that <coughs> some women also attending the bails so of these women would have been Mary Magdalene a few other women <coughs> that are not necessarily mentioned by name we'll talk a little bit about that tomorrow <laughs> when we get into the Resurrection, because you see, we see Magdalene, then, going back to the tomb, to finish preparing the body, so they got it started on Friday evening, but they had to stop when the sun went down, because that was the beginning of the seventh day, so as soon as the sun set on Saturday and in the sun, in that sun rise on Sunday they were free to go back and finish this heartbreaking task. So to finish up this section of John's gospel, to really, really finish this up, right, for us to really get what's going on here, to really understand the significance of everything that we have talked about in this passion narrative of jesus so we're going to move into the book of isaiah and we're going to be focusing our attention on isaiah 53 isaiah chapter 53 verses 7 through 9. so this passage of scripture is in the middle of Isaiah's prophecy concerning the suffering servant, which gave the people of Israel a glimpse of what the promised Messiah was going to do for them, and how the promised Messiah is going to be treated by them. So the three verses that we are going to be dealing with here in this prophecy about the suffering servant we are going to be focusing on specifically on dealing with the kind of death and the kind of burial that the promised messiah would endure and here's what these verses say He was oppressed and afflicted, he did not open his mouth, He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living for the transgression of my people. He was punished. (coughs) He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, <laughs> though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. So we need to understand that the suffering servant would be oppressed, he'll be afflicted, and he'll be led like a lamb to slaughter <coughs> yet he will accept his fate. And it is starting to sound familiar yet so, he will be silent before his oppressors, not resisting or opposing them. He will, in fact, take the cup of God's judgment in order to drink it on behalf of sinners. So, we, see, so we need to understand here is that the Israelites did not have an exact precedent for an individual bearing the sins of others. The president was for animals who were offered through the sacrificial system that functioned at the tabernacle that was built in the days days of Moses, and the temple that was built in the days of Solomon. So, in Isaiah 53, the lamb is the suffering servant himself. So, because of the sins of humanity, the suffering servant will be excuse me will be led away to die. He will commit no violence and no deceit will be in his mouth. Yet he will think to say we are guilty of having committed treason So at his death, the suffering servant will share a grave with the rich. And as we have already seen, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a man of wealth, who was rich, extremely rich, in the securing the honor that was always Jesus's from the very beginning and thus fulfilling what Isaiah had prophesied earlier. So everything that happened at the very end of John's gospel was all predicted in Isaiah 53. If we go through and Jesus is the only one who has ever fulfilled verse 23 through chapter 19 verse 12, Psalm 146, 1 through 10, and Proverbs 18, 2 through 3. Hello and welcome, faithful and loyal readers and listeners. Welcome to our daily devotional for June the 28th. So as you will recall, our daily devotional divided into two distinct segments. We have our Verse of the Day segment, and we have our Through the Bible in One Year segment. So our verse for June the 28th takes us back to the very beginning of John's Gospel. It takes us back to John chapter 1, verse 12. It says, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So what this verse reveals is how saving faith, which is that faith which allows us to receive forgiveness from God and to enter into a personal relationship with him, is... Both an immediate act and an ongoing process. And so there are two big things that we got to understand about this ongoing process. Like the first thing we have got to understand is that to become a child of God, m- one must receive Christ. So, the aorist, or, which is the past tense form of this verb here, gives the meaning of a definite act of faith and acceptance at a particular point in time. At a particular point in time. So, that's the first thing, right? So, it is a definitive act of faith and a definitive act of acceptance at a particular point in time say, receive Christ. The second important thing we're going to see here is that following the act of faith, there must be a continually, a continual, a continual act of believing. So the word believe is a form of the Greek verb describing an ongoing action suggest the need for perseverance in faith. So this means putting faith into practice by continuing to trust and rely on God. So in order for you to be saved in the end, your faith must continue after the initial And then quit believing You have to keep believing So now, now let's finish this up Because right? many of you are going to say Aha, uh-huh, aha, uh-huh, we gotta earn it mm-hmm. Don't misunderstand what we're trying to say here right? So a place in God's kingdom Is not something you can earn It's something that we receive only as we surrender our lives to God, and it's only when we do that, that God gives us the right of being his children. Therefore, membership in God's family is by grace alone. That's why Paul wrote, For by grace you have been saved through faith and it's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Right. It's Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, by the way. So, spiritual salvation is a gift from God, not something we earn from our efforts. But yet, but yet, the message of Christ must be believed and the gift must be seen in order for a person to to become an adopted child of God. So what does that mean then? To believe in His name. So when we say to believe in His name, we are saying to stand firmly. Excuse me, on the work and the character of Christ, recognizing all that Christ is and all that He has done and all He has kept. <laughs> Of doing so, when a person receives Christ and turns over the control of their life to Jesus Christ in this way, then they are born again and become a child of God. And so, only those people who make the decision to believe and to receive, not to just believe. Because it doesn't really matter if you just believe that he is the Son of God, if you just believe that he is who he says he is. Because even the demons, even the devil himself believes that, but he has not received the gift that God makes freely available to all of us. So it's only... and to receive that become children of God. So the Bible reading that you must do for June 28th are 2 Kings chapters 13 through 14 Acts chapter 18 verse 23 through 19 verse 12 Psalm 146 1 through 10 in Proverbs 18, 2 through 3, so that concludes our verse of the day, June the 28th, now we're going to move into our Through the Bible in One Year segment for June the 28th, which is our 179th segment of this, so this is day 179 segment for this particular segment so with that being said, so ignore what it says, it's not day 177, it's day 179 so if you have missed any of the previous segments of our the Bible in one year, or if you have missed any of our verse of the day segments, or if you just want to get caught up with everything that has been going on, if you just want to see what all is out there, what all is available for you to read and study, you can do that by visiting upstatechristian.com. Again, dot com. So our Focus for Day 179. Day 179 is on John Chapter 20, verses 1 through 18. So we are focusing on John Chapter 20, verses 1 through 18. So what we saw yesterday, what we saw on, in day 178, was the conclusion of John's Passion Narrative of Jesus. And today, we come to the most important part of John's Gospel. And that is what it, and so, the question that we come to, what is the most important part of John's Gospel, right? That's the question you should be asking yourself, so, the most important part of John's Gospel is the Resurrection of Jesus. Because, without the Resurrection, everything that we have read, and everything we have talked about so far, is meaningless. So, John's account of Jesus' Resurrection is different from the other three Gospels. In that John does not include the events that precede the resurrection. So he doesn't talk about there being Roman guards posted at the tomb. He doesn't talk about the stone being rolled away and there being a flash of bright light and the soldiers guarding the tomb passing out, right? Falling down from the sh- wonder of what they have just seen. Doesn't talk Matthew, Mark, and Luke talk about no, 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 no. Instead, John chooses to focus on the em- focus on the empty tomb and the reaction of both Jesus' disciples and the uh, excuse me and the reaction of two of Jesus' disciples, <coughs> namely Peter and John. And he also chooses to focus on Mary Magdalene and and. To the fact that the tomb was and still is empty. So what we need to understand about this, right? The reason I said this was such an important part of John's gospel, because Paul, the Apostle Paul, said that if Christ was not raised from the dead, our faith is useless. So he wrote that in First Corinthians chapter fifteen, verses twelve through nineteen. If you want to go and read it for yourselves. So what we need to see is that there are four overwhelming evidence in this evidences in this story that support the historiosity of Jesus' resurrection. So the first overwhelming evidence is that none of Jesus' followers anticipated his resurrection. So, what do we mean by that? They were completely unprepared for it. They had no idea it was going to happen, even though Jesus told them it was going to happen. Right? <coughs> so, even after Jesus appeared to a number of his disciples, we see that Thomas refused to believe. Why? Because he was not prepared to believe. That a man had been in the tomb for three days, a man had been crucified, which is the most horrific way to die. Right? The most horrific way to die that you could probably ever imagine was Roman Crucifixion. So, if the disciples were going to make up this story, right, it's unlikely they would have described themselves as being completely unprepared for it. Why? Because it makes sense? You no know, sense if we're going to make up a story. Let's say, we didn't know this was going to happen. No, 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 no. They would have made themselves out to be heroes about how they. Oh, yes, for sure, he was gonna raise himself up from the dead. No, 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 no. The way they described the story this, this happened the way he said it exactly was happened. <coughs> so they exhibited no faith at all that Jesus would be raised from the dead. So that's the first overwhelming piece of evidence. The second of of evidence that the first witness of the resurrection was a woman, right? Ooh, why is that so important? Why is it so important that the first witness to Jesus' resurrection was a woman? Why? Why? Because this is not the kind of detail that first century Jews would have invented, if they were fabricating, Jesus' Resurrection. Why? Why would this not have been something they would have done? Because women were not considered reliable witnesses in that day. They were considered second-class citizens. They were considered to be a little better than slaves, on, on whole. Slaves would have been considered to be a more reliable witness than a woman was. So now you can kind of see where we're going with this, right? So more likely, more likely, if they made this story up, they would have recounted Jesus appeared to one of the twelve. But he didn't first appear to one of the twelve. He first appeared to a woman my name is Mary So we know for a fact based upon that this story has to be true. So, that's the second piece of overwhelming evidence. The third piece of overwhelming evidence is that the s- disciples are described as hiding in fear from the Jews. So we have to wonder why they would describe themselves in this way if they were making up the resurrection story. Because you don't describe yourself as hiding fear if you make up a story. If you make up a story about yourself, if you make up a story about something as important as this, you describe yourself as being a hero. They didn't describe themselves as being a hero. They described themselves as hiding. But they didn't want nothing to do with this, because they didn't want to die the same time Jesus died. So we would expect they would have described themselves as anticipating the resurrection. It seems a dramatic transformation in their courage and their confidence as depicted in the book of Acts. It reflects that something significant happened in them. And that something significant is what we're told happened in all four gospels. So they went from cowardice to tremendous courage, and the only explanation for this is the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. There's nothing that could explain this. You don't go from being a coward to boldly proclaiming something if, if what you're saying is made up. That doesn't happen. They're. Act in the book of Acts, and later on, and the painting throughout the traditions and history of the church shows that they couldn't have been making this up, because nobody that makes up a story like this is going to willingly die a mortal' death for something they have made up. So the Fourth and final piece of overwhelming evidence is the discovery of the empty tomb and the appearance of the angels, which are described succinctly and without great elaboration, which is unlike the apocryphal accounts of Jesus' resurrection. For you see, John's Gospel presents and just as the other three Gospels present a historically reliable account of Jesus' resurrection. You can see John's Gospel is also the only gospel that describes the resurrection appearances in both Jerusalem and in Galilee. So now so now let's talk about the four major events that we see described here in chapter twenty before we actually get in. So this is all introduction. We haven't even read. verse John chapter 20 verses 1 through 18, right? this is all introductory stuff, this is all stuff you gotta understand about John chapter 20 before we can ever get into John chapter 20. So there are four major events that are described in John chapter 20. So the first major event is Mary Magdalene discovering the empty tomb, and Peter and the other disciple, oh, by the way, is John. Confirming her finding, so that's the first major event. The second major event is Mary encountering the risen Jesus. The third major event is Jesus appearing to the disciples when Thomas was ab- was absent. Excuse me. And the fourth and final major event is Jesus appearing a week later to the disciples with Thomas present. So we're going to be focusing on the first two events today, which would be Mary Magdalene discovering the empty tomb, and Peter and John confirming her findings, so that's the first event, and the second event we're going to be focusing on is Mary encountering the risen Jesus. So now let's actually get in to John chapter 20, so I'm going to start in verse 1 and go to verse 2 for right now. So here's what that says. It says, Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved. That they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So, we'll see here that chapter 20 opens with Mary Magdalene going to the tomb early on Sunday morning. And that when she went to the tomb, she discovered the stone rolled away from the entrance of the tomb. Right? And so need to understand about Mary Magdalene is that she had described in Luke's Gospel as a woman from whom seven demons had come out that's Luke 8, 2 so the other synoptic Gospels which are Matthew and Mark mention the presence of several women at the tomb but John chooses to f- focus only on Mary Magdalene and so how do we know this right how do we know that there were more than one woman had there and there were multiple women at this tomb that were at this scene right so we see that because the plural we and John in verse two suggests that Mary was not alone and you see she reported this discovery to Simon Peter and the quote unquote the one whom Jesus loved that's how John describes himself in his gospel he doesn't mention himself by name he always says I'm the one Jesus loved so now we're going to pick up in verse 3 and we're going go through verse 10 which says so Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. Still not, uh, they still <coughs> did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. And The disciples went back to where they were. So what we see here is that the Two Disciples ran to the tomb. We see that John arrives first, but he does not enter. So, we see the narrator here, who by the way is John, stresses that the linen strips in the barrel cloth, excuse me, me—we're not in disarray, which would have indicated a ransacked tomb, by grave robbers, so uh, John beats Peter to the tomb, and rather than rushing into the tomb like Peter does, like Peter had a habit of doing, which was rushing into things without thinking of the consequences for doing those things, John stops the engine of the tomb and takes a look at the evidence to see, hmm the grave clothes he was buried in. Oh no, Missy, they been thrown all over the place like somebody's torn them up and stolen the body. It looks nearly like somebody folded them up because they were no longer because that person has now come back from the dead. Hmm. Oh, so see here that went. T- He didn't hesitate to go in. Peter never hesitated on anything. Sometimes when he should have hesitated, he did not hesitate. But he very rarely ever hesitated about everything. So, what we see here from what John had seen just from looking inside the tomb, before Peter probably pulled him over and ran into the tomb, right? So that he believed Jesus to be alive. But at that
1: point in
0: time, he didn't understand it from the scriptures. You will see the two disciples depart, while Mary remains behind. And so that's what we're going to pick up now. Starting in Verse 11 going through verse 18, which says, Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white see where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him this she turned around and saw Jesus standing there but she didn't realize that it was Jesus he asked her why are you crying what is it you are looking for thinking he was the gardener she said sir if you have carried him away tell me where you have put him and I will get him Jesus said to her Mary she turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabbi Oni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Don't hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go and to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he said these things to her. So we see seeing that brokenhearted Mary remained behind until she found out what had happened to Jesus' body. Because you see, she wanted Jesus' body to receive an honorable burial. And so we see that while she is waiting, she sees two angels, and these two angels... Angels asked her this question, right? So this question that they asked her may have been a subtle rebuke because they asked a woman, why are you crying? Why are you so upset? Why are you so upset that this body is missing out of the tomb? That it looks like nobody is. Robbed a grudge, the tomb nobody stolen this body don't look like that. It looks like somebody got up and walked straight out of this tomb. Why are you crying about that? <coughs> so, that so that was kind of a rebuke from the angels. But then we see Jesus appear. And when he appears, he asks her the exact same question. The angels had asked. So at this point in time, we really don't know. We can't really ascertain from the text whether or not Mary recognized Jesus. She more than likely did not recognize Jesus because of her response to the question. Because it says, thinking he was the gardener, right? She said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him. And I will get him. Right? So, we don't really know why Mary didn't recognize Jesus. Perhaps, maybe, her tears of grief blurred her vision. Maybe she was not expecting to see Jesus alive. But... But this wasn't Jesus speaking to her. And we know that several times after Jesus' resurrection, those who knew him did not instantly recognize him. Why would they have not instantly recognized him? So, a couple of those reasons are that his magazine was blurred by tears, he didn't expect to see Jesus, and it could quite possibly be, and very likely be, the fact, the last time they had seen Jesus' body, he had been beaten so badly that it was unrecognizable. And now, all of a sudden, he's in near perfect, and pristine, pres- in a pristine state, because he has now taken back his heavenly body, and so they don't recognize him at first, he probably appeared very much like the angel of the. The Lord appeared to Moses. The angel of the Lord appeared to Moses. Like the angel of the Lord appeared to Elijah, like the commander of heaven's armies appeared to Joshua, right? So they would not have recognized they recognized him as being somewhat human. But see these people had walked with Jesus for three years and they had seen him in a human body, but they'd never seen him in a human body like the one that he was now in. So, what we do see is that when Jesus called Mary by her name, she immediately recognized his voice. Why? Why? Because he said her name. When he said her name, she recognized his voice. Because how else would the gardener know who she was, unless this person that is speaking to her was Jesus himself. So we then see that Jesus warns her to not hold on to him. Because he had not yet made his final... (coughs) Excuse me. He had not yet made his final ascension to the Father. And you see, Mary would have opportunities to see him again. But their relationship would change. When he sent the Holy Spirit, so we see, that we need to understand the pronoun that Jesus used here, emphasized the difference between his relationship and the disciples, between his relationship with the Father and the disciples' relationship with the Father. And like she said, because he said, "I am ascending to my Father, right, and your Father to my God and your God." As he said, so the first time he said, He said, Do not follow on to me for I have not yet ascended to THE Father. Right? To THE Father, implying that he is the HEAVENLY Father. And that's what we're talking about there, right? And so then he tells her to go make an announcement to the disciples, and makes his announcement to the disciples that she had seen the risen Lord would have been filled with joyful exuberance. And that's where we will pick up tomorrow as we conclude John chapter 20, where we will see the last two major events to take place. So we're going to see Jesus appearing to his disciples without Thomas being present. And we're going to see Jesus stand up Appearing akin to his disciples, but with Thomas present. And so in order for you to be prepared for that, here's what you need to read. You need to read 2 Kings chapters 15 through 16, Acts chapter 19 verses 13 through 41, Psalm 147 verses 1 through 20, and Proverbs 18 verses 4, through five